On today's episode of the After the Timeout podcast, we sit down with Coach Ryan McCarthy, head coach of the Alaska Anchorage Women's Basketball Program. We talk to Coach McCarthy about his mayhem style of play, offensive philosophy, the overall success of his program, what it's like to coach and recruit in the state of Alaska, and his top five basketball shooters of all time. Remember to follow Coach McCarthy and his program on Twitter at UAAWBB. And now, time for the show. Coach, yeah, that's awesome. Awesome to have you have you on. Um, I think we wanted to kind of start. I think it's cool to like learn about other programs and give you our coaches coaches chance to spotlight. Um, you know, some things that are going on in their program. I know you guys had signing day, right? Well, probably about a month ago now. Um, yeah. Signed two signed two players. Um, I think there was maybe a, a, a athlete of the year award uh, in in your program as well. So. Yeah, uh, you know, maybe just spotlight some things that are going on in your program now, where you guys are at, what you guys are doing. Yeah, um, you know, we're excited about the two ladies that we signed. Um, it was interesting because one of them had to come for less money than what we initially agreed on because of um, our entire roster is returning. Well, it, with the exception of one player, our entire roster returns. So. Um, we didn't anticipate that because we had six seniors. So when we were recruiting, we were looking at replacing six, you know, players that were going to make a big impact and, and we're, you know, um, combing the United States to try to find the, the right. next impact type player. So um, one of them was, uh, you know, a really good player out of Las Vegas uh, that, you know, we felt was going to be one of the better freshmen in our, in our league. And, um, you know, fortunately, we, you know, had to kind of cut a deal and, um, right. you know, talk about a redshirt season or first year and stuff where as a freshman, she, you know, potentially could have got some significant playing time for us. So um, we're excited about both of them. Um, and then uh, our athlete of the year, we, we didn't really anticipate uh, the last time we, we in our program that we had an athlete of the year uh, was the year that we played for the national championship in 2016. Right. And that was a really special player. I mean, she was, you know, an All-American and, um, you know, was a, probably our, our most talented player on that, on that particular team. Um, and this year, we didn't really know. We, we felt we had the best team in the country, um, but there was no way to prove that. And uh, right. um, the, the young lady that got it was a five-year player. She was a red shirt her first year, you know, played behind a really good point guard first uh, three years at, at UAA. Um, so, you know, we were really um, proud of her for that because to get athlete of the year at our school is really difficult. Our track team is really dominant. Um, the, the female student athlete and the track team had set the NCAA all-time record in the 10K. So no one in the history of division two, I think she got second or third place in a Pac-12 meet. Um, so she was, you know, multiple multiple time national champion we had a couple olympic skiers um right, so right. Cool. you know for for <laughs> women's basketball to end up with that award we were you know really taken aback so real real fortunate there but uh, in terms of where we're at now um all of our ladies are going home for the longest christmas break they'll ever have in the sport of basketball and mm -hmm. uh we have had four 
full team practices. Um, and the rest of them have been around four people at a time. So some of these gals haven't even like played with each other. <laughs> we don't even know what our team is going to look like. Um, but we're fortunate that we get gym time and that, you know, we can give them some structure during the day. Um, and we've had to come up with some creative ideas how to do that. Yeah, that was that was kind of my next question, right, on the court stuff. Um, you know, I know we're all looking for creative ideas. I know, you know, here in Illinois where we are, we're kind of all virtual right now. So, uh, you know, maybe just some things you've been doing uh, to connect with your kids when they're been on campus, when they weren't on campus. Um, you know, I think it's it's kind of cool to pick everybody's brain so everybody can take an idea and maybe make it their own and and kind of work through what everybody's going through here. Yeah, I, I think in March, you know, when the NCAA tournament got um, hit, the first thing I did, honestly, when that day happened, I bought a bunch of stock because I knew the stock market was going to go down. And I went on my E-Trade account and I'm like, I'm dumping it. You know, I'm buying Nike, I'm buying, you know. Right. So I went on there and I and I, I got some pretty good deals and I wish I would have in, invested in Zoom. I really do. Right. Um, yeah. I, just, I wasn't thinking. Um, but yeah, we've done a lot of Zoom, you know, virtual team meetings. Uh, we've gone through, you know, books with, with our ladies. Uh, I know that, you know, training captains is really important in our program. Um, we, we place a lot of emphasis on that position and we place a lot of emphasis on giving them a lot of rope uh, on our team just in terms of, um, you know, their responsibility. So, um, you know, one of the books that we ended up reading was a really good one by uh, a guy named Jocko Willick, uh, who's a Navy, former Navy SEAL called Extreme Ownership. Yeah. Um, and that's, it's been really good for, for our leaders um, and just our team in general, you know, when you, you know, um, take a look at your organization like that. So, um, and then in Alaska, you know, we're in a place where people come on vacation. So, uh, you know, typically not teenage girls will come to Alaska on vacation. So uh, we, we've, you know, our latest team activity that we did, we went ice fishing um, and that was, fun. that was pretty fun. Uh, a lot of, a lot of the ladies have never been before and we have a couple Hawaiians that are used to you know fishing out in the ocean and so I was kind of cool to cut a hole in the lake and sit there in a tent you know and yeah um get to know the gals a little bit so you know just things like that you know off the floor that, that we've been able to do and, and take advantage of where we're at so you know I think that's interesting coach and uh, you know it kind of kind of leads into my next question you know what are what are some of the challenges of of coaching in Alaska obviously coaching in Alaska recruiting has to be interesting um, you know, do you feel it's harder to recruit in Alaska? I personally, when I coached division three, I actually coached a player from Alaska and, you know, she, she was in Illinois with us and she didn't get to see her family very often. Um, and I saw on your roster, you had a couple, a couple of, uh, young women from Hawaii. So what was that like to, to talk them into go from Hawaii weather to Alaska weather that had to be interesting. Yeah, it's, it's not the easiest job in the world. Um, you know, we, we do have some things that kind of level the playing field. You know, we're funded well from a scholarship standpoint. So we are a fully funded Division II school um, from that standpoint. Um, you know, we have some cool perks. You know, Alaska Airlines made us, uh, you know, we have like a UAA jet. So it's real unique for like a Division II kid to be like, oh my gosh, you know, there's a, you know, UAA plane. Um, we have, our facility is, I think, I've only been in maybe three or four that are better than it. Um, and one of them I'd say is Oregon. 
uh, on the West Coast, I'd say Oregon has a better facility than us, but we'd be in the top top half of the Pac-12 in terms of facilities. Um, so we have those things going for us. But in terms of location, yeah, it's tough. I mean, I the majority of time that I'm told no during the recruiting process, the reason will be location. And it's mm -hmm. it's tough because we're seen as this foreign country, you know, um, and it's it's such a long flight from for a lot of kids and uh, especially at the high school level it's really difficult for us you know we're kind of juco junction up here outside of maybe like a local kid from from high school and then recruiting within our state is really difficult um, outside of anchorage and probably um, you know within a three-hour radius of anchorage you're going to have to fly to anywhere else that you want to go and then there's villages that we do camps uh, in the summertime where they're, they're off the road system. So the only way that you can get there is you fly in on a, on a, like a dirt, you call it a runway, I guess, but it's, it's dirt. Sometimes if it's real nice, it's gravel and you can fly there and they come pick you up on an ATV or something like that. And they, they take you to the gym and you spend the night in the gym and um, stuff like that. So it's just, it's different. It's different. And, and one of our players this year is from a, a village called King Cove and she had 40 people in her school and yeah so I asked her like you know what's prom like when it you know it, it was gonna be the odd man right. out on that yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah and and you know all, all there is to do is to play hoops so it's it's interesting you know recruiting our state because it's so big um and recruiting down in the lower 48 the one area that we've had a lot of success is in Hawaii um because there's a lot of similarities from a culture standpoint um and we do spend, I mean, we're really committed to our team. You know, we are from a time standpoint and um, making sure that they have the best experience that, that we can provide because yeah, you're, you're gonna get homesick up here. Um, that's the reality of the situation. So we make sure and try to spend as much time as we can with them. So, you know, when, when you're recruiting, you know, you're out on the road and, and you know, you and I have, have talked about, you know, the mayhem and the, and the thought process and the, the the style itself, you know, the back of your jersey say mayhem. So, you know, when you're out looking for a recruit, you know, you're watching, you're watching young ladies uh, and you're looking for the next generation of player, you know, what are, what are those characteristics you're looking to recruit that fit that mindset? You know, um, I, I look at a couple things. The first one that is always going to jump out to, to me when I'm like, particularly at the well, I guess in any position is athleticism. I think, you know, that, that kind of, those kinds of things stand out. We'll typically take an athlete over like the skill kid that maybe is too slow for the division one level or something like that. I'd rather take the, the unpolished athlete and teach them, you know, the fundamentals of, of what we're doing. Um, and then I, I think a big thing that I think nowadays it's a skill. I, I think back in the olden days, when you know we played where your coach would make you take a charge from the whole team things that would be like illegal now you know um we're playing hard was something that was kind of uh beat into for lack of better terms back you know in the 90s and um mm -hmm. nowadays i see it as a skill you know if you play hard and you really compete yeah i i think that's a skill and and we we place a very high premium on that um, because when they come play for us, the one thing that I, I promise their parents is that no coach in the whole country will demand more from them than I will. And, 
Um, you know, we may not say, okay, you become a basketball robot and we have you here for 11 months, but our two hours is going to be harder than any two hours and it doesn't matter what level it is. So that's, that's what we look for. So you kind of touched on it too. I want to, I, I thought it was interesting. I look at your schedule. You guys went to North Carolina, played Duke last year. You went to Florida. Uh, obviously that takes a commitment on the athletics programs part too, right? Is that something with your schedule you've always been allowed to do? Or is it something you've had to build up to? Like the, the kind of the dynamic between the athletic director, the athletics department and, and your schedules and what you guys do? Um, yeah, no, it's, it's always been like that here. Um, you know, in fact, the, the job, when I first got here, it was kind of a mess. Um, we, we had inherited major infractions from the previous coaching staff. And my first recruiting class was three intramural players because I had gotten hired in August. So right. we basically built it up from the ashes because it was good before we got here, but it, not the right way, I guess. Um, and the, the athletic department has made a commitment to it. You know, that one of the reasons I love being here is we get to go to Hawaii every year and we right. can go to Florida and, you know, we can go to these, we're, we're at a place right now where Duke will play us. You know, we're not a waste of their time if they, if they play us. Like, well, you know, um, we definitely don't go into that game thinking, yeah, we're going to go upset Duke, but we, we go in there knowing like, we're not going to waste anyone's time during this game. You know, um, we'll give them a run for their money. And um, I think that's why they've had us back. I think we played them three times in the, in the last four years. So, um, you know, that's, that's definitely a big perk. Um, you know, Division Two has a real high emphasis on um, regional play. So you get more points, I guess, for lack of better terms, for the postseason if you play within your region. Um, but our region is so unique because there's two leagues in California where they don't need to play um, anyone and they definitely don't want to play us. Um, right. You know, I've, I've told them we'll come down for free. You know, you need to give us a guarantee and we'll play. <laughs> and we've gotten dodged like that or say, hey, we'll give you 10 grand to come up to UAA. And oh, uh, no, that we can't afford it, coach. We're going to need 20. Like, okay. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just one of those things where, you know, we'll, we'll play anyone anywhere. Um, and the nice part is if we do get to play them anywhere, I'd rather it be in warm weather during December or November. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. You know, with, with your style and, and, you know, you and I, and, and I, you know, at my program, you know, we do, do run the amoeba and, and we obviously, you know, your mayhem style lends to steals and turnovers, but, you know, we wanted to flip the script a little bit and, you know, kind of talk about the, those first steps to your offense. So, you know, you create that turnover, you, you got the ball, you're in transition or in an, in an advantage situation. Obviously you create a lot of those, you create, you know, 23.6 turnovers a game. Uh, you know, points off turnovers a game, you know, what are you emphasizing in transition in those advantage situations? Um, you know, we, we drill that a lot. We try to, you know, put them through different drills and stuff and practice to create number of situations. And we talk about spacing a lot, um, you know, ways to put the defense at a disadvantage uh, where, um, you know, I think anytime you're on defense and, and you don't have an advantage, you're, you're trying to make them take a a contested jumper or a mid-range jumper um, and not like a wide open three or a layup, you know, in, in those particular situations. So, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, where, what spots we want to get the ball to, how, how we want that spacing to look um, and then to have an attack mentality. You know, there's so many 
the Euro steps and the, and the, all these other same foot, same hand finishes and all, all that, just to go up strong and, and try to get an and one, you know, go through the defender, those types of things. So we, we just try to keep it simple in that, in that regard. But, you know, anytime that we have numbers, we definitely want to have an attack mentality in that regard. Okay. So let's push that to half court, right? You get, you get half court, dead ball situation. Uh, I'm sure teams probably try to do a lot of different things as you, whether they think they can slow you down, right? Slow the pace, um, whatever. What are your, some of your half court concepts? And, and do you have a lot of those that, that flow from zone to man, or do you have specific stuff either way for each type of defense you would see? So our, our half court um, offense is like a four out one. And it's real similar to what um, Villanova men do. Um, I had learned it back when Jay Wright was at Hofstra. I, I had bought a championship productions DVD on the four out one in motion with Jay Wright and the swishy pants and, and all that. And uh, I just, I, I, it just made sense to me. And I think one of the reasons is because Jay Wright's just a, uh, an elite teacher of basketball. Um, but it, I, I just felt that that particular offense, you can change it with the times. Um, it initially was kind of this uh, high-low kind of offense um, where the two posts were working together in tandem and you were trying to get a lot of um, high-low. And now, since the game's different and it's uh, more predicated around spacing around the three-point line, um, we've, you know, really uh, emphasized where those space spaces need to be um, and, and uh, that you know, we're, we're looking to put pressure on the um, defense by trying to get into the lane via ball screens or attacking closeouts. So we work a lot on that. Um, and it's, it's a true motion. So it's, it's, you know, you're kind of reading and reacting a little bit based on where the ball goes. Um, and then we just work on our, with our bigs on, you know, we do a lot of slip screen action stuff where they're, they're making reads on why they're slipping or how, where they're supposed to slip. Sometimes we'll have them go to the corner or sometimes we'll have them slip to the basket. So just working on spacing like that. And then we probably run, I'd say 50 sets. So they have to know, they have to know 50 sets, you know, you, you know how coaching goes. You have 10 that you really like at the beginning of the year and then Absolutely. you don't like them anymore and you, you got 10 more, you know? Right. So it, it equals 50, but if you ask them to run a set that they are running in the second game, they forget it, you know? Um, so yeah, we do that. We do a lot of false action. Uh, the coach that I really stole a lot of sets from it was um, Stu Morrill at Utah State back in the day on the men's side. He had unbelievable stuff. And that's when Utah State was making, you know, Sweet 16 runs pretty consistently out of the Mountain West Conference. And um, I just thought, man, this, you know, his team is just so disciplined and they don't turn the ball over and they can disguise the same look, you know, running different false actions into it. So we do a lot of that. And I think teaching the ladies – we can get the same look. We can run it out of different formations or run something else into it. They understand basketball more conceptually rather than just being a robot and running set after set. Mm -hmm. Well, now, now you're going to have everybody looking up Stu Morrill's uh, actions <laughs> after this uh, podcast episode, coach. So obviously, you know, we, we uh, we're called the after the timeout podcast. So just a little bit of some after the timeout stuff. You know, let's say you're giving a team trouble, you know, defensively, you're creating a lot of turnovers, you're creating a lot of disadvantages uh, for them. Um, you know, they call a timeout. 
um, you know, what's, what's a common adjustment by the other team that might give you trouble uh, coming out of a timeout? And it's their ball? Yeah. Okay. There, um, yes. I, I think, you know, that every team I feel like has one or two sets that they will have in their back pocket as they, they come against uh, our defense because it's, it's um, not traditional. Um, and the, and the more that we've run it in our league and it's the same coaches, you know, they, um, right. the good part about it is it's made us better, you know, because it's, it's, you know, we have to go back on film and like, man, how did we get beat in this one? Um, the ones that will initially started to give us the most troubles when teams started to ball screen us quite a bit. And then they would take the ball screen to advance the ball to the other side on a reversal and then overload it with like a baseline runner coming across. So they would, our, our bottom would have to come out and they'd whip it down into the corner and they'd end up with like an open three or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, more recently it's been where they've started to overload the bottom of our zone. And so they've kind of stuck with like a double low and they run some sort of action out of the double low to try to seal the backside or something like that. So those are some of the things I think uh, it's always tricky when you run a matchup zone uh, and you have to defend a sideline out of bounds play. Um, we've gone back and forth on, oh, let's come out in man or let's, you know, sometimes I ask our players, um, but those are, I would say, you know, those two actions are the most common that we see when teams come out of their timeouts to try to throw us off balance a little bit. So you kind of led into it too. You talk about maybe going man or whatever. What are some of the things you like to do after, after a timeout? I know, I know I like sometimes, oh, oh we were just playing good man. Well, hey, maybe we're going to go zone for a possession. And because they just call the timeout to say, we're going to how to defend man, you know? So uh, what are some things you like yeah. to do with that? We do shell every single day in practice, man-to-man shell, every day. Right. We are a terrible man-to-man <laughs> defensive team because we just don't get a lot of game reps in it, right? Mm-hmm. We can't really break it down. And I keep our man-to-man principles really simple because I don't want to spend too much time. I just want them to understand the basics of it, right? But I will use our man defense as like a junk B. And I normally, I used to, there'd be times where it'd be like three seconds left and we're up two and they're on the sideline down of bounds. And we say, yeah, we're going to go man. And we have given up more three point looks right. going into man than we do in our matchup zone. So I have, I have not done that anymore. I learned my lesson the hard way. Uh-huh. Um, but sometimes I think what's really effective out of a timeout is if you're able to press, so it's their ball and they, you know, they have to bring it all the way up the floor you can press and then fall back into man because they're going to be so worried about what their press break is. And Amoeba really looks like man, as you start to kind of align and everybody gets their responsibilities Mm -hmm. that you can run man. And all of a sudden they start running their baseline cutter through and and their man follows them. And the point guard starts looking over at the coach, like they're not an Amoeba anymore. (laughs) Um, So that we've done that a couple of times, but I, uh, I feel really strongly about riding the horse that you came in on and Um, you know, I, I, sometimes as a zone coach, you second guess yourself if they hit a couple threes or something like that. And you start thinking like, holy smoke, should, should we go back into man? And I can't remember, I was listening to some coach before, cause I definitely didn't come up with this, but he said, you know, in our program, we have 20 sets that can get us three point shots against man to man defense. 
And we have like two zone sets that we know we can write a three. Uh-huh. And that's kind of my philosophy, you know, um, that if they get a three, okay, they ran one of their two sets, you know, against us or whether they got a lucky skip pass or something like that. But that's kind of my philosophy on that. All right. So now let, let's have a little fun to, to finish up here. So uh, both Todd and I were, were looking at your Twitter profile and we saw, you know, professional, former professional jump shooter. So, you know, we, we want to know from you in all levels of basketball, you know, NBA, college, and the history of basketball, who are your top five shooters of all time? So I thought about this uh, when I got that question. I really thought about it. And I, um, I was kind of going back and forth because some of the old school ballers, you know, like Larry Bird and some of the Chris Mullen and those guys. So I'll give you a reason for the first one. Obviously, I have to say Steph, um, Steph Curry. Um, I've actually seen him work out before, and I've never seen anything more impressive in my life in terms of someone where it, if he was at Chuck E. Cheese, he'd break the game. You know, he's, he's that guy, you know. Uh, so so um, Steph Curry, um, one of the, the best shooters that I've, uh, I've, I've seen in a game in, in person um, uh, Jason Capono, if you guys remember Jason oh, yeah. Capono, UCLA. Uh, UC, yeah, UCLA, he was pretty impressive. I, I watched him play when I was in high school. Um, I think you have to have, uh, uh, Larry Bird in that, in that mix. Um, and then for the four and the five, it was, uh, it was kind of, um, a, a little dicey for me because there's so many of them. Um, but I would say, I would put at four and five, it's, it's difficult, but my brother worked at a place called shoot 360, which basically was, you know, when the NOAA system was out and um, it was really popular and it'd tell you your arc and it would tell you where the ball fell in. And they tested everyone. They test, you know, all these pro athletes, you know, um, NBA level guys came in and the guy that had the most consistent shot in terms of his arc and where the ball landed in the basket was Chris Mullen. And so I, I have to add him in there. And then I would probably say, since I'm a women's coach, um, I would have to say Diana Taurasi. I think she said over 1,100 threes in her career yeah. so far. And I mean, shoot, she's, I think she's 40 and she's still, mm-hmm. trying, you know, so yeah. um, I would say, I would say Taurasi, you have to add her in the mix uh, too. So that would All be right, my Zaz- top five. Zazadil, you want to do yours or do you want me to do mine? Oh, I don't know. That's, that's hard. Like I, I struggled with the list as well. I, I got all kinds. I put, I put like Paige. I thought about Paige Stojakovic. Oh, you yeah. know, uh, I'm always, you know, I grew up watching the nineties Bulls. So Reggie Miller was a guy that was always giving it to the Bulls, you know, even like a, or a guy like Mike, Mark Price, right. I was a little bit young for that, but Mark Price could fill it up. You know, Craig Hodges, maybe for when he was on the Bulls, he could, he could fill it up. You know, I'm more of an old school old school like that those guys but see i i gotta add you know growing up i gotta add just jj reddick at duke uh again i'm a bulls guy so i gotta put steve kerr in there yeah it was funny coach you were talking about steph curry the the second best shooter after curry might be his coach yeah Um, yeah and then you know again you know i obviously i put bird and miller and then my fifth one was ray allen i i never saw somebody just with the most consistent mechanics of, of the times Ray Allen would catch and shoot, whether it was the Bucks or the Celtics or um, so th- those were kind of my five, but I, I, like you said, I, I, I think all of us, we could have sat down for the next half hour 
and oh, yeah. uh, gone through shooters. So, but coach, we really appreciate you joining us. Um, you know, we, can you just let us and, and our listeners know, you know, how can they get in touch with you or how, how can they follow your program? Yeah. Um, yeah. Our, our website is go seawolves.com. Um, and my, my email, my contacts on there. Um, uh, um, so if they, if they contact me, I, I always try to contact people back. You know, I've gotten so many emails about, you know, I have a separate folder for all the times that I've gotten emails on, um, Amoeba and everything like that. Uh, that I, I don't care if they're a middle school coach or whatever. I, I always make sure and get back to them. It's important to me that, that, that I do that. So, um, yeah, you can get a hold of me and our schedules up. I mean, our season's obviously canceled up here. So, um, we're looking forward to next year, but, um, yeah, go seawolves.com. Coach, coach, I do appreciate it. Coaches out there. I promise I am probably one of those coaches in that folder. So he will definitely <laughs> reach back out to you. So, Definitely follow Coach and his program. He does a phenomenal job. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the After the Timeout podcast. For more information and upcoming episodes, follow us on Twitter at After the Timeout. You can find all of our episodes on Spotify by searching After the Timeout. Thank you for listening.